Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. My burden today is to remain in the Lord. If you've been a follower of Jesus for quite some time now, then you've probably had plenty of opportunity by now, plenty of temptation to walk away from the Lord and to let that first and sweetest love in your heart, that consecration, die down. And again, to become, as it were, lukewarm and to become blind, to become naked, and to become poor again, as it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, to the church at Laodicea. Who brought you to the dance? Then dance with the one who brought you. That is, if Christ brought you to salvation, then stay in Him. Remain in Him. Abide in Him. Inasmuch as He abides in you, you and I ought to abide in him. The Lord even warns that, if possible, even the elect can fall away through deception and through trickery and conniving and through worldliness. Um, We know that many, many folk have come in to the Lord and the cares of this world choke and stunts the life and the growth of God in them. And they fall away from the Lord. Even the book of Galatians, they started in the Lord, but they did not remain in the Lord. They went back to the flesh, back to the self, back to religion. The Lord even prayed about this remaining situation in his sacerdotal prayer in the book of John chapter 17, when in the garden of Gethsemane as the high priest, he's interceding for those who are his disciples and those who are yet to believe in him. And he says here in verse 10, All that is mine is yours. He's talking to God the Father. And yours is mine. And I've been glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, yet they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Keep them in your name, which you have given to me that they may be one, even as we are one. When I was with them, I kept them in your name. They remained in your name, those that you have given to me, and I guarded them. I watched over them. I protected them. I was looking out for them so that they can remain in me, even as I remain in you. And then he says here, None of them perished except the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. I just want to focus on the fact that it is the Lord's desire and it is God's burden that we remain. That is, that we don't fall away, that the fire do not die down. 
Even in the book of Hebrews, there was the falling away of the Hebrew Christians, and over and over again there is a warning to remain in the Lord. In the book of Jude, in the book of Peter, in the book of First and Second John, there is this admonition to remain in the Lord. In the book of Colossians, there was this potential of falling away into Gnosticism and not remaining in the Lord. We know that the Corinthians struggled to remain in God. They went to Peter and they went to Paul and they went to Apollos and they became, uh, you know, divided. Instead of remaining and being kept in the Lord, my burden, I believe, is God's burden. And it's to remain in the Lord. Before the message from Acts chapter 11, I just want to start off with a little bit of an introduction to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11. And the way that I entitle Acts, I call it some of the Acts of some of the Apostles. We do not have an entire record of all the acts committed by all of the apostles. Here in this record here that Luke writes, we have just a little bit of the life of Peter. He's ministering the Lord. Philip, a little bit of Stephen, um, a little bit of Barnabas, a little bit of, well, a whole lot of Paul. But uh, it's a partial record of what happened in the first century. Um, So I call it some of the acts. Not all of the acts. There's a lot more that happened in the first century than what's disclosed here in this narrative. The book of Acts is another gospel. I call it the fifth gospel. There's six, by the way. First one is Matthew, Matthew's gospel. And there Jesus is very much a king, very much a rabbi, very much a teacher, and prophecy is wonderfully fulfilled in Matthew's gospel. There's Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is about Jesus as this suffering servant man. Then there's Luke's gospel, the relational Jesus, the social Jesus. Luke's gospel is the Jesus that eats with everybody, talks to everybody. It's the perfect man gospel. Then there's John's gospel. That's very mystical, very heavenly. Uh, The gospel that we all love, so mysterious. Um, Matthew portrays a very rabbinic Jesus. Mark portrays a very servant-slave-like Jesus. Luke portrays a very relatable, relational Jesus. But the way that Jesus is portrayed in in John, he's not just a common man or a good teacher or a servant, he's actually God himself. Phenomenal gospel. But then there's the book of Acts, which is also a kind of a gospel. And it's also the gospel of Jesus, but not Jesus in the flesh, Jesus in the spirit who filled the saints. It's the same story of the one person, Jesus Christ, Would you agree with me? But it's not written from a rabbinic standpoint or a servant standpoint or a relational standpoint or a God standpoint. It's written from this angle, 
Christ by his spirit living inside of the saints. So it's the gospel really of Christ in spirit inside the saints. But in short, we call it the Acts of the Apostle. And then the sixth gospel is the book of Revelation. That's not a rabbi we meet there. That's not a servant we meet there. That's not just a relational person. It's definitely God. But it is Christ in His glorified, exalted, shining, splendor, majesty. It's a a view of Jesus we desperately need. It's good to sit at the feet of a rabbi, Jesus. It's good to be loved on and served by the servant, Jesus. It's good to be in a relationship with the relatable Jesus. It's good to be wowed by the God, Jesus. It's good to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. But we need the book of Revelation also, the exalted, glorious, eternal, ancient of days ones. One, it says there in Revelation, his hair is like wool. His eyes are like a flaming fire. Out of his mouth comes a sword and water. I mean, how's that possible? (laughs) The book of Revelation. He's clothed with a beautiful robe and he has a sash, a golden sash about his heart, his chest, his bosom, his feet. Pure bronze. I mean, this ain't no rabbi we're talking about. It's not a buddy old pal, you high five. This is an awesome person, a man glorified, Jesus Christ Himself. So, six Gospels, but hey, we're in the Gospel of the Spirit, the book of Acts, chapter 11. verse 19. So, the Lord Jesus has spread Himself through many people by now and in many various localities. A lot of folk are calling on the name of Jesus. A movement has started. People are meeting in homes just like we're meeting now, breaking bread. and um, Very soon they'll begin to go underground and Um, But the church is alive. The saints are well. There's no liturgy here. There's no formalism. There's no mechanical lifestyle in God. It's pure, raw passion. People just telling neighbor and telling sister and brother and anybody who's anybody in their reach hears about this God living inside of you. We have an authentic movement here of people who genuinely care for each other. People who genuinely hear from God. They don't have the scriptures. They don't have candles. They don't have robes. They don't have songs and music. They literally are in God. God is in them. And wherever they go, they just give God to people. They don't give teachings to people. They don't give uh, inspirational thoughts to people. It's almost as though folk look at them and say, Y'all have been with Christ Himself? And like, yeah, I don't have silver. I don't have gold. I have that one. Have some. So you have here in the book of Acts people that are so uncluttered, unsophisticated, even illiterate people, fishermen, Jews, Gentiles, 
raw, organic, pure, heavenly people. Massive movement. You and I are here today because of this raw element within these people. In verse 19 it says, um, those then who were scattered by the tribulation which took place in the town of Stephen passed through as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews only at this time. Notice there in verse 19, persecution, tribulation, being scattered. The saints have struggled through the years, but they've kept the faith. It says in verse 20, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, and they spoke also to the Greeks, announcing the Lord Jesus as the gospel. The gospel is not an argument. The gospel is a person. The gospel is not a message. It's not a book. It's not a movement. They spoke the Lord as the gospel. It says in verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them. God was with the saints. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. I love it. They didn't join a movement. They didn't join a church. They didn't join a denomination. They were added to the Lord. They became members of the organic body of Jesus Christ. Male, female, Jew, Gentile. They got baptized into Him and He baptized Himself into them. This is the early days. Things have gotten a lot more complicated since then. Um, but okay. <clears throat> Verse 22. And the account concerning them was heard in the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. So now the folk there in Jerusalem, what's going on up there in Antioch? Okay. The account concerning them was heard in the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to pass through as far as Antioch. Uh, Barnabas, would you... Uh, Go on a scouting trip for us and go see what those people do up there in Antioch. But hey, I want you to notice verse 23, and this is my heart for you tonight. So Barnabas, who, when he arrived and he saw the grace of God, people not living by formulas, people not living by mechanical processes, <coughs> they lived organically, quite spontaneously, quite passionately, they lived the gospel. When he got there, he didn't see law and legalism and Judaism. He saw a motley crew of people, a bunch of Greeks, under the hand of God and under the grace of God. Barnabas, he sees that. So he rejoiced and he encouraged them all to remain in the Lord. My translation actually says to remain with the Lord with purpose of heart. Saints, listen carefully. Jerusalem over here, the movement of God had begun. God began to fill people. 
But no sooner were people filled with God than they thought, maybe we should go back to the law. Maybe we should take some of these other things and incorporate it into our life. Then we've got the fullness of the gospel. Of course, everywhere Paul would go in due time and preach the grace of God, folk would come afterwards and say, no, 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 grace is not enough. The hand of God in your life is not enough. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. So Jerusalem started so strong. But you'll see even here in the end of the book of Acts, when Paul comes to Jerusalem, they nearly kill a man who stands for grace and freedom in Christ. And it says when Paul, it says here in the book of Acts, in the latter part, when Paul got to Jerusalem after all these many missionary journeys, after his third missionary journey, he saw that the church in Jerusalem was zealous for the law. You can go read it. Not zealous for Christ. Not zealous for the kingdom of God even, but for the law. So Jerusalem started strong. But they didn't remain in the Lord. They started strong. But their hearts were lured away. And he sees the grace of God on them. People who love God. People who are just sold out. Completely consecrated to the Lord. Part of us is looking at this and it's like, hmm, we had this in Jerusalem. Oh, he rejoices when he sees this. And then he goes to encourage them. And he says to them, saints, remain with the Lord. It's almost as though Barnabas is saying, those of us down there in Jerusalem, we've already parted ways with the Lord a little bit. We're no longer under the hand of God. We are now scheming. We've got systems. Y'all, remain in God. Remain with the Lord. And then he says an interesting word here. He says, continue with purpose in your heart. Now, these are a bunch of slaves. These are a bunch of no-name people. These are just average Joes. They're Greeks. They need God. They give their life to the Lord. They receive the full life of God. God begins to use them. They're leading people to Jesus everywhere. Do you get what I'm trying to say? They themselves under the Spirit of God. Not just the select few. They themselves. Barnabas gets there. It's like this is... This is amazing. But something might happen to them if I don't encourage them. So Barnabas gets to be encouraging. He says, hey, remain with the Lord. Why that warning? Why that encouragement? Because people (coughs) daily leave the Lord as their first love, as their magnificent obsession. Are you in the Lord? In that pure, organic way that you once were the day you got born again. Very few people remain in the Lord. Folk now join denominations. Folk now join movements. Folk now become so dependent on so many other things 
to force the hand of God on them, to force the grace of God on them. They don't remain organically pure in the Spirit of God. So now we've got to go to so many other things. My question to you, are you in the Lord? Or are you in culture? Are you in a backslidden condition? Are you in works? Very few folk remain in the Lord. The record here of the entire New Testament letters, uh, these letters that Paul wrote, if you want to do an interesting study one day, go see how many warnings there are to the people to remain in God. Oh, it's not said exactly in such words, but there's so many warnings to not fall away, go by the wayside. In other words, it happened where people are so excited about forgiveness. We're so excited about clean conscience. Oh, the blood washed me. Isn't this awesome? We're so excited about God in me. So excited about eternal life. Oh, and about three days later, we're like, yeah, forgiven. I don't even know if I'm forgiven. Clean conscience, oh, my past. Oh, I don't even know. Does the blood of Jesus really work? Can I really be free from this, that? and the, I don't know. Did Jesus really rise? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Many of us come into the Lord and then, uh, yeah, we exit again. Just so I'm not saying we lose our salvation, but that life, that dance, where you and the Lord just you were, you were led by Him, and you could just feel the movement of the Lord, and you were in sync with one another. We lose that. We don't remain in Him. That's why He says in John's Gospel, "Abide in Me." Stick it out with me. Stay the course with me. Remain in me. So here the temptation for these guys in Antioch, the men and women who met the Lord, was to just somehow become too cultured, too sophisticated, and, and lose that pure dance that Barnabas saw they had with the Lord. Because, yeah, the folk in Jerusalem began to lose it. We have a saying in America, dance with the one who brought you to the party. You, you have that saying? I've never heard that. The way it's actually said, dance with the one. <laughs> At least I've been to many parties. So that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, the saying goes like this, dance with the one who brung you. <laughs> In other words, when uh, that cute, handsome boy comes to you and say, hey, you want to go to the prom with me? And you say, I thought you'd never ask. And then you show up at the prom and he starts dancing with other folk. Would that not just be the worst day of your life? <laughs> you know, that's the worst. Or vice versa. He asks you to the prom, he gets to the prom, and you dance with everybody else. What an insult. Y'all, are you listening? That's where the saying comes from. Dance with the one who brought you. So what happens is, Jesus 
brought you into this life. But so many of us will begin to dance with so many other things instead of staying in the rhythm of grace and the Spirit. Christ in me and I in Him. Oh, now we begin to work. Maybe not in a Judaistic way, but we all come up with our own things and we lose that touch with the Lord. So much so that the average Christian has lost that first love fire. So when Jesus in the book of Revelation, in that glorious vision there where he shows up and he speaks to the church of Ephesus there, the very first uh, congregation that he addresses, he says, you've lost your first love. You're doing all of these many, many things for me, which is awesome, but you and I are not connected. The heart-to-heart life is gone. Now it's a formulaic life. It's what happens. And there's warning after warning after warning in the New Testament to remain in the Lord. Uh But we backslide. God don't answer a prayer in the timing that you wanted. Most of us are like, I'm done with you. I'm out of here. I'm going to go try me some Scientology. Oh, but of course, we're a lot more polite. We may not try a bunch of other things, but the fact that you're disconnected from God and not remaining in Him might as well be as good as just go joining some other weird thing. So Barnabas says to them, remain in the Lord. But then he says, with purpose of heart. With purpose of heart. Ah, here's the guts of the matter. Very few folk maintain a heart for the Lord. We lose that rhythm of loving God and being loved by God. And so, our heart that is to be so filled with the love of God and give love to God, our heart that is the expression of our person, we're once filled and baptized with the love of God. Romans 5, verse 5, the love of God was poured out into your heart. The day that you met Him, such grace, you just loved God. He did like nothing for you. And you just loved Him anyway. He didn't answer a prayer and you just blessed him anyway. Your heart was pure. Your heart was uncluttered. It was filled with the love of God. You just knew that you knew that you knew you were God's favorite. God didn't have to prove himself to you. He just had conviction. No speaker had to like, you know, encourage you, motivate you, and just psych you up. You just knew you loved of God. Great days, bad days, your heart had passion. When you called onto the Lord's name, you did it with passion. When you sang, remember you just raw, unsophisticated. You sing at the top of your lungs. Everybody else is totally in shock, and you just didn't care. Your heart 
which represents the entirety of your person's intensity was for the Lord. Your heart was intense towards the Lord. You couldn't wait to see people and bless them and speak well. It was easy to say no to this and easy to say no to that. You began to seek first the kingdom of the Lord. You gave up your life. You gave up your future. You didn't bother about it anymore. Your heart had passion. Your heart had purpose. You were on fire, we would say. Dynamite. Energetic. Get up any hour of the morning to be with God. Stay up any hour of the night to just seek the Lord. He never shows up and you just love them anyway. Bless them anyway. Turn on a song, it's awesome. No song, you just love God. Every day you just knew there's purpose in my life. Shoveling the, the dirt here on the front porch and planting a flower, going to class, there's purpose with it all. You love God in science and you love God in garden work and you love God shopping. And you just you were in God, you remained in Him, He and you. You had a vision. Yeah. And so Barnabas has to come to the folk here and say to them, hey, uh, you need to remain in the Lord. And your heart needs to stay in the Lord with purpose. There are a few beautiful things that stand out in this account of the church in Antioch at that time. Number one, they preached Jesus as the gospel. That to me is remarkable. The gospel was not but a person for them. Number two, the hand of God was with them. All throughout scripture, the hand of God represents the strength of God, the aid and support and breakthrough and overcoming of God. They experienced God with them, not against them. Number three, Barnabas noted that they were in the grace of God. That is, they were in the nature of God. They were in that river and flow of the triune God. They were in the Father in the Son, in the Holy Spirit, not in law or in legalism or in performance, but in grace. That just stands out to me so much. And then Barnabas encourages them, remain in the Lord. Remain in Jesus as the gospel. Remain with the hand of God upon you and remain in the grace of God. And then he says to them here, Keep the purpose of your heart stayed on the Lord. Guard your heart with all diligence and do not let anything crowd or choke or diminish the passion of God within you. What a word to me and what a word hopefully to you. In closing... I want to mention briefly four things that diminish the gospel of Jesus, diminishes the hand of God upon my life, diminishes the grace of God upon my life, causes me to 
in a way sidetrack a little bit and derail and step out of remaining in God and as it were um, losing a little bit of purpose. There are four things. Perhaps there are countless of things. I want to mention four. Number one, perhaps the one that contributes the most for us stepping outside of a rhythm with God personally is an intermediary priesthood that replaces the speaking of Christ, the comfort and counsel and teaching of the Holy Spirit, the discipline and authority and supremacy of Almighty God in our lives. This is when, in a way, we begin to look to man for our breakthrough. We look to man for the steps to take to overcome. We look to man, an intermediary priesthood, to tell me what to do, to teach me, to counsel me, to guide me. And did God set up in the body of Christ many gifted members to teach, to encourage, to pastor, to shepherd, to lead? Yes, and a thousand times more, yes. But a subtle thing happens in that you and I begin to look almost disproportionately to man versus Almighty God Himself. And, and as a result, we don't preach Jesus as the gospel. We don't experience the hand of God upon us. We don't remain in Him and we don't remain in the grace of God and stay focused in the purposes of our heart. An intermediary priesthood. That happened in um, the New Testament and it happens even to this day. Number two, a physical temple or a structure that becomes the sole connecting point with God. According to the New Testament, the regenerated spirit of man is the connecting point with God. No longer a locality. Remember the words of Jesus, neither in Jerusalem nor on Mount Gerizim will you worship the Father. You will now worship the Father in spirit and in the reality thereof, that is, in spirit and in truth. But what I often do is I look towards a place and a time and then a kind of a formulaic, in a way, almost a mechanical process for me to connect with God. And when I, in a way, make temples and structures and places my primary contact point with God, you are, in a way, going to forfeit uh, a little bit of the, the closeness of God, the remaining in God, the organic oneness with God now. Because, in a way, I look towards that place to connect with God, and I forget that God is also with me now, and that by my exercised spirit, I can enter into fellowship with God and into the grace and into the hand of God right now. Number three, is this matter of Old Testament promises and ethical law codes. Many of us, just like the Galatians, we start strong in the Spirit. But then as we read the Old Testament, which is the account of God's dealings with the Jewish people, 
Many of us take those laws upon us and we think that to become a better Christian or even a fuller Christian or what we might call a completed Christian, I have to take on some of the Old Testament promises and some of the Old Testament mandates, even if it was meant for a priest or a king. I want to take some of those things upon me to show God how serious I am about obeying. And what happens is we forfeit the grace of God. We don't remain in God. We take back Moses, we take back Elijah, and we incorporate back into our life uh, a burden that we carry. Jesus in the New Testament asked us to come and take his yoke, his teaching, his weight upon us because his burden is light. But, of course, we love to prove ourselves to God, do we not? We have that performance orientation within us. The Old Testament promises are beautiful, and the life that is exemplified there through all of the morality and ethics is is beautiful. But really, the only person that can meet that law code is Jesus Christ. And if I remain in Him... The law will be fulfilled in me. Because only one person can really fulfill the law, and that's Christ. You know that. But by hosting Christ, you host in you the fulfillment of the law. So host Christ. Don't scrupulously attend to all of the details of the law. And lastly... What hinders me from the grace of God is not just an intermediary priesthood or a physical temple or Old Testament promises, but any law code, whether biblical or even modern, any law code where I place emphasis on self-improvement, this standard and that achievement and this checklist, Not just the biblical law code, but a law code that I put upon myself. Now, there's nothing wrong inherently with making a checklist and checking it twice and, you know, sweating a bit and and, and working towards things. But you have to remember to differentiate between spiritual work and physical work. In the physical realm, we work hard. We get up and we go for it. But in spirit, there is a a different work. The work of spirit is to believe. And the work of humanity is to sweat. And we should keep those two separate. In spirit, I work with God by believing into God. And as a result from grace in me, there is an energy created in me to will according to God's good pleasure. I don't come up with a list of things. I don't uh, just imagine what God might want from me, use both the Bible and my imagination and create some high bar for me to achieve. You know that you're not going to achieve that. I certainly never have. And it robs me from the grace of God. An intermediary priesthood, a physical temple, Old Testament promises, and often law codes that we impose upon ourselves, they will rob the grace of God from us and cause us not to remain in the Lord. Can I encourage you to once again embrace Jesus, the person 
as the gospel. To say thank you and acknowledge and discern again the hand of God upon you. To remain in the grace of God, to remain in the love of God, and to remain with purpose in your heart towards God Almighty.